You are listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast. My name is John Mahalik. I'm a seminary-trained author and speaker with over 25 years' experience encouraging others in the areas of spiritual life change and authentic relationship. My goal is to bridge the things of eternity with everyday experience. The current episodes in this podcast are sermons that I delivered while pastoring a church in the country of Honduras. If this podcast encourages you and helps you, can I ask that you please write a review and leave a rating? It will simply help more people find the podcast who may, like you, be searching for more purpose and meaning. Thanks again for listening and enjoy this week's episode. This morning I'm beginning what I think is probably going to be about a five-week series on the Bible, on the Scriptures. I'm someone who has a very high view of Scripture, and and I'll mention that maybe in the coming weeks, what that means if you don't know. Um, But my love for the Scriptures and the the education that I've had in seminary and other places on on why the, the, the Scriptures are trustworthy, why we can trust in the Scriptures wholly and completely. Uh, as a rule of life and a way to connect with God, etc. And so uh, the foundation of the living word is the topic this morning. And so last week we had a similar topic. Uh, it was, uh, the title was On This Rock. And it's from the scripture in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where, and we're going to address it again, where the church is, is settled on this, this rock, this foundation. What is the rock? Some people say, well, the rock was Peter. Well, I think in the context, the rock was Peter's confession, his faith in Jesus as Messiah. So and there are, the problem, though, is sometimes when we look at the Old Testament is, uh, if you are someone that studies language or, or grammar or writing or communication as a, as a modern person, uh, the Bible, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the New Testament often uh, commits a crime that we don't do nowadays when we write. And one of the things that it does is it mixes the metaphors. <laughs> it mixes metaphors. It, confuse, it, it confuses different illustrations with others. Uh, one example is Jesus... Uh, he identifies himself in a lot of different ways in the New Testament. Well, so one, one time in John, he, he will say, I am the good shepherd. So he's, he's creating a metaphor. It's an illustration of him being a shepherd of sheep. But then right after that, he says, I am the gate to the shepherd hold. Well, are you the shepherd or are you the gate? Which one are you? And then, then, he, then he goes on and he says, I am the, the sheep, the lamb that's going to be sacrificed. Okay, so you're all three in the, in the picture. That's, that's mixing metaphors. It's very confusing, and we don't usually do that too often in, in modern communication. But the Hebrew mindset, you know, the, the people that he was chiefly speaking to uh, didn't mind that so much. It wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. He could be all three, and it, it was okay. Uh, so the same thing applies with with the rock metaphor here. The, the, the rock is used a, a number of different times. Again, we saw last week that, uh, you know, the, what is the rock? Well, Jesus is the rock, and Paul says that a number of times. The church in the building is kind of the rock. Uh, and, then, and then, as I think I demonstrated in Matthew 16, our confession, our faith in Jesus as Messiah, is also the rock on which God would build his church. So those are, it's kind of mixing our illustrations. Now, I'm going to add to that. There's another one. 
Matthew chapter 7. There's another illustration of what a rock might be. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, these words of mine, Jesus was God in the flesh, so everyone who hears the word of God, essentially, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. (laughs) The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because... It had been founded on the rock. And then in contrast, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So, the word of God is called a rock. Right? Not just the Word of God, but hearing and obeying the Word of God. So, is, is this just kind of a random thing where everything's the rock and all that? Maybe. But I do think there's actually a connection between what I described last week as our foundation and the Word of God itself. So, the Bible, again, we use it often in Christian contexts in the modern world. The Bible certainly is considered to be our foundation. The Word of God is, is one of our, the main foundations for our lives as Christians. And so that's certainly represented in, in Matthew chapter 7, these words of mine. So how does that tie into what we said last week? Well, there is a way that we are connected to Christ uh, when it comes to our faith, our confession, the Word of God, Christ Himself. And so this is back when uh, we looked at this in Matthew 16. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So there is a rock of our heavenly confession. Jesus, uh, Peter makes this confession that Jesus says comes from the heavens itself. And he replies to Peter, he says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock... I will build my church. And I believe that the, what he's referring to is the, the confession that he just made. This, this confession of faith. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that is a type of rock, a foundation. The word of God is also called a rock. How is that? How does it all tie in? Well, John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of uh, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, what is the Bible? What is the Word of God? The Word of God is living. The Word of God is Jesus Himself. So when I read and approach the Word of God, I'm approaching Jesus. So there's there's part of the connection on how I can be connected to Jesus, the rock. Hebrews 4 doesn't specifically mention Jesus, but it's, it's related. The Word of God is living. It is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we're going to be talking about the importance of the Bible. Why is the Bible important? Why is it distinct? Well, the Bible is not just a book. The Bible is a living, breathing 
thing. It is Jesus himself, it is the Holy Spirit, it is the thoughts, the intents, the person of God. That is what we encounter when we encounter the scriptures. And then we have Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we have a connection. It's not just a random depiction of illustrations of a rock here and there. We have a connection. We approach and have access to the living Word of God, the Bible, right? That is a foundation that can be a rock. We confess and we have faith in Christ as a result of approaching and living in the Word of God. We have uh, the hearing and the doing. We hear the Word, we obey the Word. That is called a rock. And then we have access fundamentally to Jesus Christ. Lots of different ways that we can illustrate this, but you can sort of see this. And the main point I want you to hear is that the Bible, in most cases, the Word of God, is, is our entryway into this foundation, which is Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible, in many ways, is so important. Why is the Bible important? Why is the Bible important? Uh, much of the themes of my time here and my ministry here, my approach to this is, is knowing that in many ways I'm, I'm speaking to a, a group of people, many of which have spent their lives in Christianity, uh, are, are active in ministry or teaching, those kinds of things, that I want to, get, I want to remind us of the things that are fundamental. Meaning, the longer I am as, as anything, I can tend to take it for granted. I can tend to rest on my laurels. And it's also possible in a community where you kind of go along to get along. Meaning, maybe you've been raised in the Scriptures, you've studied the Scriptures, uh, you trust in the Scriptures, but you couldn't say that you actually absolutely can defend them, that you absolutely can come to a place where they are, are completely the foundation for your life. You only affirm the scriptures because that's what you do in a church. That's what you do in Christianity. And I think all of us probably have certain gaps in our life when it comes to the scriptures. So that's that's really the intent of these coming weeks is to either remind you, reaffirm, possibly reintroduce you to the idea of why the scriptures are so important. This is a uh, photo of a library. You can go online and, and see beautiful libraries all over the world. This is in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, the Portuguese reading room. Look how big that is. This library has over 350,000 books just in this library alone. That's a lot of books. That's a lot of words. I looked up on Google, and obviously not everything you see on Google is going to be accurate, but I think this might be fairly accurate. It said, 130 million books have been published in the history of man. 130 million books have been published. Every year, from 600,000 to 1 million books are published. Every year, new books come out. That is a lot of words. That is a lot of books. And all of them are, I would assume, purporting some sort of knowledge. Not always in a knowledge that is, is for our lives, but that's a lot of words. It's a lot of books. The Bible, for the most part, we'll get into it, but is considered to be one book. <laughs> one book. Why is the Bible so important? Out of all these books, out of all these words, why is the Bible superior again 
We answer, we answer this for ourselves over the years, but do I have a really good answer in my heart, in my head? Can I articulate? Why is the Bible so important? One class I, I've done in the past for folks is, is from the Christian History Institute, Discovering the Bible. I'm going to refer to a few quotes uh, from them this morning. And they will say this. They say, the Bible is the most circulated book in the history of the world. It's been this way since the uh, innovation of the Gutenberg Press in the 1450s, when the Bible in Latin was uh, the, first, uh, the first large book to be printed by the movable type. Ever since, year after year, more copies of the Bible are printed and circulated than any other book. For the most recent year, at the time of that writing, over 60 million complete Bibles, over 90 million New Testaments, and over one and a half billion scripture sections were published in over 2,000 languages. The press run keeps growing every year. So there's that. And then they say, more books have been written about the Bible than any other subject and the single person about whom these books have been written has been Jesus. 300 million books, I would assume trillions of words, (laughs) have been written and published in the history of man. And yet, over the years, the Bible outshines them all. Right? It's not just the superior book in and of itself, but, but the most read book, the most referred to book, right? the most written about book, and Jesus being the chief character, of course. The Bible has had an immense impact on history, upon people. And you can look at history for the most part. I'm sure there's places where the Bible's never mentioned, maybe, in the world. But the Bible has such an impact that people tend to come down on one side of it or the other, right? It it brings strong reactions to individuals. A couple of people, oh, let me do this first. The Bible deals with the basic questions that we all face. And again, this stuff is rudimentary. This is, seems a little basic. But again, (laughs) you know, we need to go back and retrain ourselves. We need to not take things for granted. Can I answer with confidence why the Bible is so important? And I think we need to get back to the basics. It deals with the basic questions that we all face. Whether life has a purpose, how we view ourselves and humanity, how we're to treat each other, whether there's a God, how God reaches down to us, and how we can find God. Again, we can get so advanced in our views and understanding of the scriptures that we forget the basics. <laughs> and, and the basics are usually where the person that needs the Bible most wants to start. Can I articulate why the Bible is so important at this level? Okay, so the people that react to scriptures. Here's an Abraham Lincoln quote. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. All things desirable to men are contained in the Bible. The Bible has that kind of impact on a guy like this who many people consider had had an immense effect on, on the United States. 
But the Bible also has some negative impacts on certain people in history. (laughs) Thomas Paine, another famous guy from U.S. history, said, It would be more consistent that we call it the work of a demon than the Word of God. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and brutalize mankind. Strong reaction. And this is not a guy that's in the minority. Right? This is not... There aren't, there aren't just a few people who have such a strong opinion of the Scriptures. And it's not just back somewhere in history. Right? There are people in the modern world all over the map who, can, who have a view of the Scriptures like this. And there are people like Abraham Lincoln. And there are people somewhere in the middle. The Bible has a deep effect on everyone, believer and non-believer. So the other thing we need to understand is that the culture that we see, the events, uh, the, the policy decisions, the, the, you know, the stuff that's going on that we can see in the news and, and elsewhere, are so uh, chiefly affected by one's view of the Scriptures. Whether somebody has a Thomas Paine view or an Abraham Lincoln view. right? Our work, the way we see our work and career... Marriage and family. Look at the issues that are going on in culture with marriage and family, with relationships and sexuality, social involvement, charity, politics and government, war and peace, life and death. We can look at all these social issues, these cultural issues that in the, just the modern age, the modern headlines. I mean, if we, if we sat down for an hour and pulled up a bunch of headlines, we, I, could, I could say, all right, this is... These people on how they are addressing this particular cultural issue, how they see it, that kind of thing, rests on their view of the scriptures. Either their rejection of it, either their embrace of it, or them kind of sitting on the fence with it. Which I think can apply to a lot of us. The Bible is absolutely crucial to understanding our culture and life in general. And so, you and I, my objective is that we're to honestly evaluate our view of the Bible and how we regularly put it into practice. Do I take the Bible for granted? (laughs) Have I been a Christian for decades, but I kind of take the Bible for granted? Because it's like anything, you know? Familiarity breeds contempt, (laughs) right? When something's around all the time, we take it for granted. Do I take the Bible for granted? Have I allowed cultural views of truth in the Bible to affect how I see it and use it? Again, I I always personally want to take an inventory of the influences in my life. What shapes me? (laughs) And and when I quantify that in a given week, the amount of, of minutes and hours that I spend letting the Word of God affect me compared to the amounts of minutes and hours that I, I spend letting the, the world's culture and thinking affect me, <laughs> usually the culture wins out. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a little naive to assume that, that I'm receiving this much data throughout the week from the culture and that might not affect the way I see the Scriptures. So have I allowed that to happen? Do I study and accept only certain parts of the scriptures. Again, we all can be guilty of this. How do I do that? Again, many of us who have been Christians a long time 
can often have our pet books, our pet sections. Do I only accept and study certain sections? Do I only live by certain sections? How well can I explain the importance of the scriptures? Not just to other people. Again, that's where we usually go. How well can I be an evangelist? How well can I talk to my friend about God and the Bible? But how well can I do it for myself? Because evangelism always starts with us. right? We think it's an action item and that we have to speak to somebody else. But I think it's possible to commit fake evangelism. <laughs> yes, God loves you. Yes, the scriptures are true. But you don't really fully believe it yourself. It's possible. How well can I defend the integrity and truth of the Bible? There's a lot of opposition to the integrity and truth of the Bible in our world, in our university, in our churches. How well can I defend the integrity and truth of the Bible? And so, this is introductory this morning. I want to seat us in the, the fact that the Bible is foundational. And so, a review of the benefits of knowing God's Word is important. This, this is just a very basic review. But again, we want to seat ourselves in the foundations of God's living Word. And this list comes from uh, um, some material by John MacArthur. Some benefits of knowing God's Word. The truth. We have the truth. John 8, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm not sure that this comes first, but we were in the, the class this morning on Proverbs, and, and talking about the people that live foolish lives and the people that live wise lives. And, and, and also the idea that the foolish person is, is most typically in the heart of a child who hasn't experienced life, hasn't, hasn't dealt with consequences of their behavior. And so often the child does not see the truth. The, the truth is that their actions have consequences, that we reap what we sow, that kind of thing. And, and, and some of the people that Jesus condemned the most in the scriptures were those who claimed they could see but were blind. They, they, they were actually spiritually blind, but they claimed that they could see. And that's, again, in many ways, all of us. We have areas in our life where we are blind, but we assume that we can see. And so one way to approach this idea of the benefit of God's word is that it reveals, it comes to us in a way that we could never see life because God is the ultimate truth. God is the ultimate seer. God reveals truth to us that we on our own cannot see as limited human beings. Both, <laughs> how much he loves us, you know, the good stuff, but also areas where we can improve. Areas of sin, conviction. So there's lots more that could be said about truth. The Word of God gives us blessings. The Word of God gives us blessings. Luke 11, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. You want blessing in your life? The Word of God is a chief place that you should go. Wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Ecclesiastes 7. Right? Do I want to live a long, contented, purposeful life? The word of God, wisdom, is a place that I need to go. We get guidance from the word of God. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Again, many of us... (laughs) 
assume we can see when we're blind, but we also assume that we're walking in light when we're really bumping around in darkness. <laughs> and it's not until the, the light of the Word is revealed in our lives that we say, Woo, I was, I was stumbling and I didn't even know it. The Word of God offers us guidance. Growth, we all need to grow. Like newborn babes, First Peter, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. The Word of God is often referred to, metaphor, illustration, as food or drink. And this is spiritual milk in this case. By, by drinking the Word of God, the spiritual milk, we may grow up in our salvation. Power. So many of us live li- lives where we are helpless or we are powerless to achieve and attain the life that we would like. Some of us are powerless and we don't know we're powerless. <laughs> Romans 1 Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. I can live a life of power, of effectiveness. To experience benefits like these, and there are lots more benefits we could talk about, there are necessary beliefs that you and I need to be rooted in to to fully experience these benefits and to communicate these benefits to those who need to hear. There are necessary beliefs. So this again comes from John MacArthur. Number one, a necessary belief is that the Bible is infallible in its totality. It is unfailing in its purpose. So that's sort of a definition of infallible. The Bible is infallible in its totality. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect uh, reviving the soul, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. We are all fallible. <laughs> the Word of God is infallible. We need to believe this, however imperfectly, for us to receive the full benefits of the living Word. The Word of God is infallible. And as you consider this list, Maybe you're real familiar with these, these, top, these words. Maybe you're not. Uh, just know that the objective of the coming weeks is to get into these words. What, what does infallible mean? How can we trust in that word regarding the word of God? Next one. The Bible is inerrant in its parts. It is free from error. How? It is free from error in all it affirms. In all it affirms. Now, this is a tricky word. Again, if you've studied the Scriptures, you've studied people who oppose the Scriptures, the word inerrant feels a little bit tricky. How is the Bible without error? How is it without error? Proverbs 30, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So one of the premises that we need to get behind is that if you believe that God is flawless... If you believe that, that God is infallible as a, as a person, right, that He is without error, <laughs> but you believe the Word of God is, has, has fundamental errors, that's a breakdown, isn't it? And so, is it possible that I can come to a place where I can have a real sense of confidence that, the, that, that God is without error and so His Word is also without error in all that it affirms? It's an important and necessary belief. The Bible is authoritative. 
It has the right to prescribe all our beliefs and actions. It's authoritative. This is a necessary belief. In many ways, this kind of stuff really is all or nothing. I need to, I need to be all in, as they say. I need to be all in on, on these kinds of beliefs. Otherwise, I'm going to miss a lot. Because a lot of us, me included at times, will, will sit on the fence. Well, it's authoritative, but uh, maybe not in everything. Maybe not in everything. And again, you can go to lots of diver- uh, universities that teach Bible classes. You can go to a lot of churches that will say, well, you know, the Bible is authoritative. But, yeah, maybe not in everything. The Bible is authoritative. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient. It contains all needed information for living. Again, all. All needed information for living. 2 Peter 1, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Do I really believe that the Bible gives me everything that I need for my life? If I'm halfway on that, I'm not going to receive the full benefits that God's Word has to give. The Bible is life-giving. It provides access to and assurance of salvation. John 20, John concludes and he says, These accounts of Jesus are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So not only does the Bible give me all I need for living, but the Bible gives me all I need for living after living. Right? That death doesn't have to be the end. That I can have salvation, that I can have eternal life through my faith in Jesus, the living word. And then finally in this list, the Bible is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. It accomplishes what it promises. Isaiah 55, God says, My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And, and I, I, I include that one last because, again, that's sort of the crux of what I want to do in these coming weeks. I want to help establish or reestablish for you Partly in light of the opposition that the Bible faces, your trustworthiness in God's scriptures. The Bible is trustworthy. To trust in his scriptures is to trust in God himself. So, when I usually think about preaching on Sundays and preparing teachings, uh, I often try to ask myself, what if I had one day to live? Or what if I had an hour to live? What would I say? on this topic, this scripture, whatever. Because sometimes I think we meander through our topics and and how we communicate. And that level of urgency is often, it's a helpful tool sometimes to get to the crux of what you should say about something. So what would I tell you if, say, I had just a few minutes to tell you about the Bible? What would I tell you personally about myself concerning the scriptures? I would tell you that the Bible has changed my life. The Bible has absolutely changed my life. 
I would say, the Bible has opened the door for me to the life, the character, and the love of God. That's what the Bible has done for me. The Bible is full of mystery that is absolutely beyond me. But the Bible is also full of simple truth and practical advice. I would say that the Bible tells the story of stories in which I find myself an active character. That's what I would tell you about the Bible. I would tell you that the Bible reminds me why words and language exist and how they should best be used. The Bible gives me assurance that I can live a life of meaning that pleases God. That's what the Bible does for me. The Bible is a tool. It is a friend. It is a comfort to me. It is a motivator. It is a reason to live well. The Bible is something I would describe, and the Bible describes, as a gold mine. The Bible is a gold mine of riches that proves its worth the deeper that I dig. That's, that's somewhere we're, we're going to go next week. And then finally, the Bible is a gift that needs to be constantly unwrapped to enjoy it fully. We, we always want to return to the fundamentals. And we never want to assume that the Bible is fully exposed where we have control or full understanding or full faith. I constantly need to be unwrapping this gift. So, again, some of you might be rolling your eyes in the, in the coming weeks. Some of you might be going, hmm. Some of you might be saying, he's crazy. I don't agree with him. But consider the value of the foundation of this living word. 300 million books. But this one book's book stands above them all. This one book isn't just a book, but it is the living God himself. That's the access that you and I have when we go to the scriptures with faith, with understanding, trying to get to the source, which is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, it is wonderful to understand your, that your care and your love for us in so many ways shows up in a book. Many of us have a love for words and a love for books, but this is the most unique, the most special the most human, the most divine book that the world has ever seen. And so, Lord, I ask that we are reminded of the importance and the value and the fruit that comes from being people of the Scriptures. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart and every mind and every emotion and sense of logic and... (laughs) every bit of skepticism and doubt and every bit of faith and hope in the hearts of those who are in the room today. And Lord, I ask that the gift that you have given to us in the scriptures is renewed in our hearts and our minds as something 
that gives us direct access to the light of the world and the light of life and to eternal life itself through the person of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I ask that you touch every heart in the room as we go forward this week. In the name of Jesus Christ. And normally I will send you out with a scripture, but I wanted to send you out with a a lyric from a hymn. (laughs) You probably heard. Standing on the promises, I cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. The promises of God. We'll get into more of that next week. God bless. This podcast is produced by Embrace What Matters Ministries and is available most anywhere podcasts can be found. I encourage you to subscribe, share, and please leave a comment or send me an email. To learn more about this ministry, my devotional book, and other writings, please visit embracewhatmatters.com. Dot com.